Portions of this podcast may not be suitable for children. It's real-life stories and sometimes PG-13. Making marriage work is like running a farm. You have to start all over again each morning. Author unknown. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, catch good vibes, and be inspired by engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are united. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. Hello, thank you for listening. Today's show is entitled On the Rocks, Marriage Matters. There was a popular Christian movie years ago called Fireproof. It was about a couple whose marriage was in trouble. They eventually grew apart and fell into the traps of pornography and extramarital affairs. Like most Christian films, it all ended happily for them with their faith and family restored. Although it's a good movie, at the time I was going through a painful divorce and raising my two young sons practically on my own. It just didn't seem realistic to me. I spent a season in depression and leaned heavily on the Lord. Eventually, I remarried. Today, I've been married to my wife for over seven years. We have three beautiful children together, making a full house with five kids. I've learned the hard way that there is no magic secret. A relationship is like a garden. You have to keep up with it, cultivating it, protecting it from harm, pulling weeds, and when you give the proper care, then you yield the benefits. But neglect it, and there will be lots of problems and extra work to get things back to healthy again. Later on in the show, we'll disclose several helpful resources to help you lead a happy marriage. Now let's get right into our first story now. I was eight years old when I um, I was first uh, uncovered accidentally um, a pornography stash. And, um, you know, at eight years old, um, didn't really realize it then, but just really didn't have a box for that. Um, You know, nowhere to really put that, no, no way really to process that. With my um, religious upbringing, um, you know, just felt very um, ashamed, very guilty, uh, dirty, um, and definitely kept it a secret. When I met Trey, he was smart and very intellectual. He was um, very much, he loved sports, you know, football. We'd play frisbee on the quad at Sanford, yet he was very passionate about God, and I loved that. And I really felt that. Um, Eventually, I would overcome the struggle on my own, and nobody'd ever have to know the difference. And my my secret would be would be safe, and my pristine, perfect reputation that I had managed for so many years would would be intact. I always felt like I was going to marry somebody in the ministry. My dad had been in ministry, and a lot of my family members were in ministry, and it just kind of uh, was in me. I had planned to tell her about uh, my struggle, um, and it, I was very scared because I knew she loved who she saw me to be and who she, who she thought I was, um, but it was going to be a risk to share the secret that nobody else knew. There was a family member that had um, kind of, our stories were similar, I was a good athlete, everything had always come easy, and he had, uh, he had actually had an affair. And I remember Melody saying, I'm afraid that you're going to be like my cousin and your rebellious period is going to be after we get married. And when she said that, um, I remember just saying, well, I can't tell her. There were times 
throughout the course of our marriage where he just seemed like he wasn't wasn't here, wasn't present. And we would talk, but it just wasn't that intimacy that I found. And I, about year seven, I just remembered thinking to myself, is this all that marriage, you know, kind of the death of a dream, I guess, a little bit? Is this all that marriage is cracked up to be? For a lot of people, they go to chat rooms, and it started innocent enough with sports chat, um, a big SEC football fan, and, and it started there. But what I began to find, um, really for the first time in my life, it was an opportunity for me to get to know people and them to get to know me with no pre preconceived notion. Unfortunately, they did um, go from the uh, just the sports stuff to more local chat rooms and then more of, um, of a sexual explicit nature. Ultimately, um, in 1997, had my, um, my first one night stand with someone I didn't even know her last name. It wasn't until um, my kids were five, four, two years old and six months that, um, that I had come to, to terms with Trey. I had gotten into his wallet to get some money out for something and he, I found a receipt in his wallet um, that were for some items. I think it was flowers and chocolates. I can still uh, hear um, her sobbing and just this almost a wailing and just it, it, it ripped my heart out. And Trey proceeded to tell me that he had had over the course of two years he had had seven one-night stands and um, what, do you, what do you do with that? I began to learn that there is a pain that heals. In my entire life, um, any hint of pain, I would run to the medicine. In my case, it was pornography. For some people, it may be alcohol. For some people, it may be work. You know, whatever we use in our life to make life work on our terms. The, the healthier that I got, the more that it took pressure off. Trey's got to be this person for me. Trey's got to do this thing for me to set me at ease. And it was me through a lot of pain and, and, and healing that God allowed me to, to get to a place where I was comfortable in my skin. And that was, that was the big turning point in recovery uh, and, and understanding that I was worth recovery, that I had value, and um, that God had created me for a much larger story than the small story that I was settling for. Rebuilding trust was seeing Him in a different light. It was also me becoming a different person and then fleshing that out together. There is hope for those who are struggling with sexual addiction. Um, this cannot be overcome in isolation. Knowing yourself and being able to, to stand up for myself. I don't have to wait for him to stand up for me or to to, to lead or show up or whatever. I can say what I think and I can say what I feel. And it's very freeing in a very healthy, you know, healthy sense. For those who are struggling and maybe you believe some of the lies that you're the only one or nobody will understand, uh, there are groups that can help uh, to connect with other uh, individuals who, um, who are on the path to recovery. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Come see us at thinktwicetv.com. I met Austin after I got divorced when my first daughter was really young. Dated for two years and then were married in 2004. He was very sweet with her and very sweet to me. 
It was great. It was great for a while. And then things that I hoped would change when we were married did not. I was so desperate to have a marriage success that I was putting that on a pedestal. I don't think I was in tune with what my marriage was like at home. I just wanted to make sure that I, at all costs, stayed married, even if he didn't even want to be at home with us. We have had a lot of ups and downs. I guess more downs than ups. About two years ago, I committed adultery out of night drinking. Austin was unfaithful or very um, angry and mean at home, and I didn't make things better, but I felt victimized because that's where I found my identity. I didn't know if I wanted to be in our marriage. I didn't know if I wanted to stay in our marriage because I felt as though she was my savior, and when she wasn't saving me, then she would fail me, and that's when I would do stupid things. I think I pretended that it wasn't going on, that it wasn't a bad marriage, and that, you know, um, okay was good enough for me as long as I got to have him stay. Last summer, I uh, committed adultery again, this time pretty much sealing the fate of our marriage ending. The point of the adultery was to find happiness, and that was probably my breaking point as far as realizing that there was nothing that was gonna make me happy. It wasn't until I really let go of being in charge of my marriage and fixing things around me when I really just cried out to God and said, I can't do this, I just didn't want to be married anymore. My wife and I, not speaking much, not having much of a relationship together. I wasn't even living at home at the time. We're still coming to church sometimes, very, very few and far between, but I came. The church was offering a program called Redemption, which deals with the uh, reoccurring sin. So I felt God really put that on my heart to join, and my wife decided to join with me as support for me. It really just dumbed it down for me. <laughs> about Christ's love and how much it saves us. I don't know if I even even had a feeling last year when I would look at the cross, but now I see Jesus on that cross and I see I see I see my sin putting him there. Which was really hard to see that. But it's amazing that I even got to see it. Amazing that I was even put in a position where God would show me Christ's love. When God fixed Austin like I had been trying to and couldn't, Austin came back and not only did he come home, he was content there. When he started changing is when I actually noticed how much my happiness waited on my circumstance, where I had been so affected by his moods or so affected by what was going on that I, I took my eyes off of the gifts that God has given me and I was very unhappy when things weren't happy at home. I'm thankful for these difficult things that we've gone through because I don't know how this could have happened without um, you know, me really letting go. We can actually have 
a close personal relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus saves us every day over and over. He is my only joy. It's the thing I crave. <laughs> I don't think there's another way except to keep Christ first. We both looked out for ourselves, never looked out for each other. We get so lost in ourselves that it's impossible. I would go home to my family. I wouldn't want to be there. Anger and resentment. Beers or watching TV, just not being involved with their lives whatsoever. But now, because of God's grace, the things that Christ has done for us and the things that he's forgiven us for, I can love her how she's supposed to be loved. I get to still be married to Austin. I can't wait to go home. My kids still have their dad at home. And I can't wait to be a part of my children's lives. He wants to be with us. Because I've made some terrible mistakes. Jesus can forgive us and renew us and redeem us. And I am blessed enough to have a second chance. God gives us every day to wake up and try again. And together, we just grow towards God now. My name is Austin Crowley. My name is Jesse Crowley. And this is our story of grace. Share the experience of our incredible true life stories at thinktwicetv.com forward slash our stories. Life, hope, and truth for Generation Now. This is Hashtag Gospel. Relevant, inspiring, and straight to the point. The gospel and what it means for us. There is a certain romance to the idea of the lone wolf. But this is how it actually plays out in nature. During the summer months, a wolf can survive on its own. But in the winter, the smaller animals it depends on for food go into hibernation. Which means wolves are forced to hunt larger animals. A pack of wolves can take down this larger prey easily and survive. But a lone wolf will die, hungry and alone. If you look at your life, would you say you're part of a pack or are you more of a lone wolf? Just like wolves, we may be fine when things are going well. But what happens when winter comes? What happens when we face difficulty? What happens when our lives are falling apart and there's no one around? This is one of the reasons God designed the church. He knew we would need each other and planned for it. We may be busy or unsure about where to find a community, or maybe we've even had bad experiences with church. Remember that no church is perfect. The important thing is to find one that follows the blueprint God created for it and has a significant effect on its surrounding community. Join that church and be a part of something bigger than yourself. You were never meant to face winter alone. This is the gospel. Hashtag gospel. View each message as an amazing animated video at hashtaggospel.com. That's H-A-S-H-T-A-G, gospel.com. It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short, single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. We enjoy hearing the charming things that kids say sometimes, and they're, they're brutally honest. In fact, uh, there have been TV shows, you know, kids say the darndest things and, and those sorts of things. Recently, I came across um, some letters to God, prayers, if you will, from kids. One says, Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you keep the ones you got now? 
Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Dear God, I'm an American. What are you? Some of us think God's an American, don't we? Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. <laughs> Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there now. Dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. De Denise said, this isn't so good. Dear God, if we come back as somebody else, something, uh, please don't let me be Jennifer Horton because I hate her. <laughs> Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. Said it works with my brother. <clears throat> that was Larry. Dear God, we read Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. Sincerely, Donna. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. Peter. Here's my favorite. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> There's a definite healing process in being honest with God, and he's the one person we can always be honest with. You know, we were designed to be satellites orbiting around him. Prayer brings us back into and helps us keep in our true orbit. It keeps our true center, which is to worship God and enjoy him forever. When we center on anything besides him, we begin to burn out like a satellite that gets out of order, gets too close to the sun. But prayer is our means of healing, of bringing us back into that true orbit, that true revolution. The Lord's Prayer gives us a vision of life. It's a life marked by peace because the love of our all-powerful Heavenly Father is our center and we trust him for our daily bread. We also live in happy submission and glad anticipation because we see God's loving purpose at work in all circumstances of our lives. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done. And tonight we know tremendous freedom and power because our conscience is clear and our relationships are healthy. Because not only are we feeling forgiven by God, but we are forgiving. The Lord's Prayer gives us a life of absolute peace, a life of tremendous clarity, a life of total power and freedom, a life of high beauty. That's the vision of the Lord's Prayer, a vision of a life that revolves around God. You know, when I contemplate the price Jesus had to pay for my wrongs, I get a tiny glimpse into how wickedly wrong my sin is. Sin is, sin is serious. Especially when you think of the lengths God had to go to cover it, to forgive it, to cleanse it, to blot it out. The things that I'm doing that displeased God must be really, really wrong. But at the same moment, I understand that that very act of dying on the cross not only shows me how evil my debts are, but it takes away any doubts that he accepts and loves me. And finally, don't forget who you're confessing to. He is your father. 
If you feel crushed under the weight of your sins, it's because you're forgetting who you're dealing with. If we say, I feel too small and too wicked for God to forgive me, that is arrogance. Do you really think that our sins are a match for his mercy? Really, they're that big? When the prodigal comes back, the father sees him a a long way off, and the father runs to embrace him. Fathers love us when, even when we are sinning. They don't stop being our dads. They can't wait to receive us back. And the father interrupts the prodigal's confession. He doesn't even let him get it out. He's all over him. He's hugging him. He's kissing him. He's shouting, hey, bring the, bring the robe. Get the ring. Get the calf ready. It's party time. The kid doesn't even get the confession out before the father's all over him, embracing him, loving him, weeping. His son has come home. The father's love is uproarious. It's invincible. It's not based on our beauty or perfection. It's based on his beauty and perfection. It's not based on who we are. It's based on who he is. The Nicaraguan poet, Ernesto Cardenal said, Heaven is marriage, and hell is disappointed love. Marriage can be a lot of things, but easy isn't one of them. To have a good marriage, it not only takes focused attention, but sacrifice. Listen to the Bible, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Or listen to the words of Jesus from Mark 10, 6-9. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Marriage surely has its challenges, but we also must safeguard it from outside interference. That could be a dissenting voice that criticizes your spouse, or temptations like pornography or or substance abuse. The Bible actually says God hates divorce. So in the end, it's up to us who said I do to really do all we can and then some to hold on to our marriage. If you need a boost or even more than that, visit focusonthefamily.com forward slash marriage or check out the book Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egrich. His theory is that men need healthy doses of respect and women deeply desire love. When providing those basic needs for each other, it energizes the marriage and then pays dividends. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.